This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at a few verses here. The title of the message is Called to Spiritual Maturity. Once you become a child of God, the Bible teaches that we're like little babies on the milk of the Word. But as you continually grow spiritually, the Bible says, you eventually, you find yourself on the meat of the Word. So we're supposed to be growing spiritually. Now, some people think that means that they have to memorize many scriptures. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can know a lot of scripture and have it memorized to be very spiritually immature. Some people think uh, going to church and uh, never missing church and comparing yourself with other people and trying to outdo them in a spiritual way somehow, serving the Lord, Sometimes they think this means that I'm more spiritual, but no, not at all. We're going to look this morning about the fact that we're called to spiritual maturity. See, we all know that we're growing older, but how do we know if we're growing up? Are we becoming more mature or are we staying immature? Signs of aging does not mean we're showing signs of maturity. You can have snow white hair and be very immature. And I know that because I have been around people who had white hair, they were older, but when it came to spiritual matters, they were extremely immature and they caused problems, especially those you find in the local church. You can grow older in the faith and not mature in the faith. So in First Peter here, we see Peter is especially dealing with suffering in the Christian life. It's not always easy. Sometimes, even as a child of God, we find ourselves suffering. It may be something to do with relationships. It could be something to do with the loss of a job or a financial collapse in your home, whatever it may be. Sometimes we find ourselves suffering as children of God. So in this letter, the readers of this letter seem to have undergone slander and ridicule because they were telling other people about Christ. And so this caused some of them to be put in prison. Uh, their property was confiscated, and some of them even experienced violent death. But this is the good news. If you experience death for Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly teaches, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So if they take your body and they kill you, they cannot keep you out of heaven. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. And so Peter uh, also talks about the blessings that are inherited by accepting the gospel, the good news, that Christ died on the cross for our sin and as us. And so he talks about in this passage we're going to look at the proper relationships of believers with the world, the state, and the family, and the local church. So that's what you're going to hear uh, in this message. How am I supposed to relate, even with our government, even with my family, even with the local church, how am I supposed to grow spiritually and what are the wise ways in these relationships as we go through life? Because sometimes it can be very, very hard. Now, he's been speaking to various classes of people. Back in this day, uh, they had servants. So he, he was speaking to servants. He was speaking to husbands. He was speaking to wives. He was speaking to different kinds of people. So as a finale, he has a word for all of us. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. He says, finally, 
all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As an individual, my friend, as a true child of God, you are called to spiritual maturity. We are supposed to be growing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, at this point in your life, how is that working out for you? Would you say that you're yet to be born again? You're not a child of God. Or would you say, I am a child of God, but it seems like everything in this world is pulling me down and holding me down, and I'm not growing as I should. So here are eight marks of spiritual maturity. So what I want us to do is I go down through this passage in First Peter here. I want us to compare ourselves with these eight marks of spiritual maturity. And let's see how we're doing. The first one is this. In verse 8, it's of one mind. Let me ask you, are you of one mind, first and foremost, with God and his word, and then of one mind with other brothers in Christ who are in the same word and are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit? Do you find you're of one mind? That's what he said. Peter said, all of you be of one mind. This speaks of unity. The most beautiful thing in the world is to be with other children of God. And there is an oneness of mind that's refreshing. Now, this speaks of unity, a oneness of heart, a oneness in purpose, and especially a oneness of mind on all the major points of the apostles' doctrine. In other words, you say, well, I don't know anything about the apostles' doctrine. My friend, I love you, so listen, spend time in God's Word. You don't have to rush. You don't have to read from Genesis to the Revelation. You can. I would encourage you to start in the Gospel of John. But just begin to read God's Word, even if it's a verse a day, and then say yes to the Holy Spirit when He brings to your mind, I need to change in that area. I'm going to do what it says in here. And what happens? It changes your whole life. Everything starts going up, and you'll find and you'll meet people who are doing the same thing, and there is a oneness of mind. Now, it is not expected that Christians will see eye to eye on everything. That would be uniformity, or some people have tagged it a cookie-cutter Christian. Probably a better way to say it is legalism, pure legalism. If you've ever seen a mindset that tears down a local church, it is a legalistic church. And what's confusing about it is the Word of God is rightly divided and taught Sunday by Sunday, and people come and faithfully hear it. But 
in their soul, their mind, will, and emotions, they become legalists. They compare themselves with others, and they're determined that other people will be just like them. Instead of the scripture way is to encourage one another to become more like Christ and not mere human beings. And so there's an uh, old saying, it's probably on the fundamentals of the scripture, when it talks about a oneness of mind, there's a well-known expression, and this is it. In fundamentals, let there be unity. In non-essentials, let there be liberty. Give people liberty. You don't want to try to make everybody like you, but in everything, let there be love. I want to tell you the mark of a mature Christian is a man, woman, boy or girl who loves agape love by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. That's the mark of a spiritually mature Christian. So Peter says that we're to be of one mind. I remember many years ago, me and two of my friends uh, wanted to see what the scripture had to say about the nature of the believer. Does the believer, a child of God, have one nature or two natures? So we met at a library here in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, on Union Avenue. It was, a, it was a rainy day, and we sat down for several hours, and we read the scripture passages that had to deal with, basically, does a believer have one nature or two? And I want to tell you this, we never one time argued with one another. And we politely listened to one another as we would read portions that we were considering. That's the way it should be, especially, my friend, in a local church. There's no need for arguing. And if you're in a church, if you're listening to this and you're in a church and there's a lot of arguing and legalism, I would encourage you to quickly and gracefully and in love walk straight away from that church and go somewhere else where they teach God's word in love and not in legalism. Legalism always destroys. So what did Peter say? In verse 8, he said, all of you be of one mind. Second thing he said is this, compassion for one another. This is another hallmark. When you're spiritually mature, not only are you one in mind with your other brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're also compassionate. There is compassion for one another. Uh, he says, having compassion for one another. This speaks of a mutual interest. Instead of just thinking about what you want to think about or what you're going to do or what you're going to be, you're also wanting to know about them. You're willing to listen to them and also to be interested in what they're interested in. Literally, this word compassion means to suffer with. And it's especially appropriate when given to those undergoing persecution, which these people had been. And so some of you here are going through a tough time. Some of it you brought on yourself. Some of it, maybe someone else brought on you, and you're going through a tough time. And what you would like is to be with some people where there is a oneness of mind. There is unity over the things of God and his word. And you would also like a little compassion to help walk you through this season, this chapter that you're in, to help walk you through it. You have help coming out the other side. And so it is an absence of of competition. When someone's showing compassion, they're not competing with you. They're not envious of you. They're not jealous of you. There is a compassion. Paul states it this way 
to the church at Rome in chapter 12, verses 15 through 16. Listen to what he says. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. My friend, listen. If you're spiritually mature, there is a oneness of mind. There is a compassion. You don't see yourself above other people. You see yourself equal. And if they're going through a tough time, you have a desire to help. You show compassion. In other words, you suffer along with is what he's saying here. And I remember uh, many years ago when I served on staff with uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, I was minister of pastoral care, so I made hospital rounds. I used to go down to downtown Memphis and uh, go in and out of the hospitals, and uh, I would go home worn out, very tired, but also very encouraged because of what God was doing in and through me. But I remember going in a room one time, and there was a man who was very mad at his church. He said, nobody has come visited me. And I said, well, I'm sorry about that. We just found out that you were in the hospital. He said, where's the pastor? And I said, well, sir, there's 20, 29,000 members at Bellevue Baptist Church, and our senior pastor, Dr. Rogers, can't make hospital visits to everyone. That's why he has people like me serving alongside. I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me to ask this man this question. I said, sir, when was the last time that you personally visited someone in the hospital? And he said, I never have. So he was mad that nobody had visited him, but he never thought about it until I asked him that question. Who have you visited? My friend, we need to be far above that. We need to be better than that. We need to not be quick to point blame and get angry at someone over trivial things. So I want to encourage you, if you're listening, I want to encourage you, be involved in a local church. This coming Sunday, guys, Find a local church that teaches God's word where you sense love and compassion and be willing to be like-minded with them. Be willing to encourage them and help them as they encourage and help you. The third principle we see here, this hallmark of spiritual maturity, is love as brothers. We've already hit on the love part, but in verse 8, he says love as brothers. Now, see, in humanity, there is a human love, phileo, where we get our word Philadelphia. We call Philadelphia here in the United States the city of brotherly love. But what he's saying here is he's talking about brothers in Christ, that we're to love one another. We're we're not to be so self-absorbed that we simply can't love other people. And so he says, love as brothers. This speaks of the love of affectionate friendship. Someone wrote this. We're not sure who wrote it. An unknown author writes, Providence does not ask us whom we would like to be our brethren. That is settled for us, but we are bidden to love them irrespective of our natural likes and dislikes. So you might say, that is impossible. But remember that true love does not necessarily originate in the emotions, but in the will. It consists not in feeling, 
but in doing, not in sentiment, but in action, not in soft words, but in noble and unselfish deeds. So, you can see that as we mature in our faith and in our walk with God, it is healthy for us to have a circle of friends who lovingly hold us close, regardless, who care about our pain, who are there for us when we can't make it on our own. And the flip side to this is our being friends like this to other people. Not always taking, but also giving. People have given to you. They've loved you. They've shown compassion. And we are to do the same for them. As we mature, our friendships deepen. Here's a fourth hallmark of someone who's spiritually mature. They're tender-hearted. That doesn't necessarily mean they are a pushover, but they're tender-hearted. In verse 8, he says, be tender-hearted. This speaks of kind-heartedness. Again, this speaks of compassionate. Having a heart that's sensitive to the needs and feelings of others, it refuses to turn cold, callous, or cynical in spite of abuse. We see this in the Gospels when you look at the life of Jesus Christ. He was kind. I mean, he could be strong. The people he was strongest against seemed to be the scribes and the Pharisees. They were legalist, and he had a strong, godly, righteous indignation against legalists. Legalists tear down and defeat everything they're a part of, whether their family, relationships, their friendships, whatever they're a part of, eventually they tear it down. It reminds you of Lucifer, and a third of the angels went with Lucifer out of heaven. That's the kind of influence that he had. But we're called to be tenderhearted. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, talking about Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Remember this. If you truly are a child of God, that same Jesus that was just described in Matthew, he lives inside of you. He looks through your eyes. He listens with your ears. He speaks with your lips. He loves from your heart. He serves with your hand. He walks in your steps. I want to encourage you right here. Serve one another. Love one another. Be interested in one another. Have compassion for one another because Jesus lives in you if you're a child of God. You watch what happens to you if you'll begin to do this with other people. You watch. You watch what happens. We are to love as brothers. Paul said to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We have to forgive other people. We don't really have a choice. You say, well, I can't do that. You don't know what they've done to me. You may be here today and right now you're thinking, what they did to me is the reason I am where I am. It may be part, but I can tell you this. If you'll forgive them the same way God has forgiven you, you might see everything change in your life. Everything start going up. You must forgive. And you say, well, I'm not going to forgive them. Let me ask you this. Are you above God? If he's forgiven them by putting all sin of mankind on Christ, who died one time for all sin, who are we not to forgive? 
what Christ has forgiven. We simply cannot choose not to forgive. We must forgive. Maturing people, a spiritually mature person, they are tender people. So here's the question. Are you seeing yourself in any of these hallmarks of a spiritual person? Are you tender? Are you courteous? The fifth thing is be courteous. Verse 8, this speaks of humility. Lowly or bowed down in mind, it speaks of an eternal attitude rather than an external experience. Essentially, it means humbly thinking of others, putting others first, and saying and doing the gracious thing. Courtesy serves others before self, jumps at opportunities to assist, and expresses prompt appreciation for kindness received. It is never coarse, vulgar, or rude. There's an old saying, if you think that you're humble, you're probably not. True spiritual beauty is unknown by the beholder, J.H. Jowett said. It's not that you're trying to have the look of humility. That's posturing. A truly humble person is humble inside, and then that is expressed on the outside. First things first. So if you say, I think I'm humble, you may not be humble at all. A mother brought her newborn baby to General Robert E. Lee in the Civil War. And she wanted him to just hold her baby and pronounce a blessing upon this baby. This is what General Robert Lee said. He said, ma'am, please teach him that he must deny himself. And then he handed the baby back to her. If you and I are going to be spiritually mature, we have to practice telling ourselves no, and telling the Holy Spirit in us, yes. He will conform us to the image of Jesus if we'll only practice denying ourselves. The sixth one is forgiveness. This is in verse 9. What did he, Peter say? He said, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, when people speak evil at you or towards you, you're not to reciprocate. You need to forgive and walk away. You don't want to think evil. You don't want to speak evil. You don't want to become like this world system. You want to become like Christ. So that means we have to be willing to forgive. The whole epistle is written against a backdrop of persecution and suffering. These children of God were being persecuted and they were suffering as a result of the persecution. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, listen to what he says. He said, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. And so when you feel like you're under persecution, you keep trusting the one who first saved you, trusting God. And in the process, when you're doing this, you're influencing men, women, boys, and girls for Christ. Now, here is a clear sign that you are maturing spiritually. When you stop fighting back, when you take the chip off your shoulder, I dare you to push me, I dare you to, when you take that chip off your shoulder, when you stop working on your clever answers so you can punch back, with a sarcastic jab. 
When you cease from that, that is a sign that you're growing spiritually. You're becoming more mature. But if you're always arguing, fussing, fighting, cursing, my friend, listen, you need to ask yourself, have you truly been born again? And if you're willing to say, I forgive them the same way I've been forgiven. I choose to be one mind with children of God and brothers in Christ to show compassion and love and to encourage and to help everywhere I go. When you're thinking that way, that means you're mature. If you don't think that way, it means you're immature or and possibly even still without Christ. And so we must continue to forgive. The seventh hallmark is this. You're careful in speech. Verse 10, Peter here is quoting from the psalm uh, in Psalm 34, 12 through 16. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Have you ever been with someone? When they would speak, it was just full of evil. Sometimes you're thinking, is this person, do they have a demon inside of them? I'm talking evil. He says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Instead of refrain your tongue from evil, the psalmist said, keep your tongue from evil. This speaks of a controlled tongue. Our tongue is powerful. Our tongue can encourage people and lift them up or can tear them completely down. Just our tongue. As James puts it in James chapter 3, he said, put a bridle on your tongue. Don't let it gallop off like a horse. Put a bridle on it. Make this your constant prayer. Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You can mark this down. Your mouth and your tongue can either make you or break you. What you say can cause people to want to hire you and promote you, or what you say can make people turn completely away and walk away from you. The tongue is powerful, and the tongue and the mouth are controlled by how we think, because what we think determines what we do, and that determines how we feel. Don't let your speech make people walk straight away to protect themselves. Let your speech be courteous. Let your speech show compassion, encouragement. Let your speech always mean something instead of nothing. Have something to say. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And the eighth thing is this, peaceful, verses 11 and 12, 1 Peter 3, he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he's talking about here is speech that is peaceful. It is pure. Purity is a turning away from evil and doing good. And then the result is peace. A continual seeking peace and pursuing it. For the eyes and ears of the Lord are on the righteous, speaks of God's providential care of you and me. So here's the question that we started out with. As an individual, as a true child of God, 
You and I are called to spiritual maturity. How is that working out for you? Are you a mature Christian? That is, are you a man that's of one mind when it comes to the Word of God and brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you of one mind? Would you say that you're a man that has compassion for one another? Do you love as brothers? Are you tender-hearted? Are you courteous? Do you forgive? Are you careful in your speech? Are you a peaceful man? Because if you are, my friend, that shows that you are spiritually mature. If you say, I am the opposite of these things you mentioned, that shows, my friend, I love you, so listen, that shows you're possibly still without Christ. Do not die in that state. Or you do have Christ in you, but you're controlling instead of letting the Holy Spirit control you. And so therefore, you're not growing spiritually. My friend, listen, I encourage you to focus on growing spiritually. If you'll do that, be very careful what you say. Practice loving people and being compassionate. I want to tell you what will happen. Your life will change. And this is what's going to happen. When your life changes, you have an impact on other people, everything's going to go up. You'll actually have more to give if you'll only practice these things and focus on spiritual growth. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.